Yeah, lovely. Well, Stephen, in the how long? When did you guys land in our church? Start of the year, February, would have it been? Um, yeah, Leola came over to Holbrook and settled into our house in November, but uh, I followed on and off thereafter because I was on leave, but I didn't officially retire till the end of February. So, okay. uh, still so, early days. Yeah, so it hasn't been that long, but gosh, it feels like, um, <laughs> I mean, don't take this the wrong way, it feels no. like you're part of the furniture, Stephen. That's, that's a good thing, isn't it? When, yeah, yeah that's right. No, it's just been a delight having you and Leola here. So do you want to just um, share with us a bit about your, um, yourself and your family? Who are you? Um, thank you. I, and thanks for the invitation of being here to share because it's very important we do share who we are and what we are and where we've been and done. But uh, I grew up near Coonabarabran, a little edge of a little village, probably something like Matong, uh, where my dad had a small farm and a business, seed cleaning business. And uh, I was, grew up in a Catholic family, very faithful. My dad still goes to church in his 90s and um, anyway I uh, left that and I took up a trade as a mechanic and I worked at that trade for 18 years and I left that to uh, go farming, uh, cotton farming, managing a big cotton farm out west of Moree for four years and we made our money, paid off our house in Coonabarabran and moved back to there for a while and uh, where we had our family. We have four children, three boys and a daughter, Alison, who's here. And um, yeah, from there we, I went back mechanicking with the Coonabarabran Shire and then the Cooler Shire and all the time along I got uh, God nudging me all my life. I grew up, uh, let's say, a Christian type family and uh, but didn't know much about God apart from he was this big mean guy with a stick who's going to get you and hid behind the clouds but it's not the God I know now, thank God. <laughs> um, from there we, uh, I went into ministry and studied in Canberra for a bit over three years and went to Dubbo and the week I arrived the senior priest Dubbo resigned and left me the biggest and busiest parish in the Bathurst Diocese and I didn't know which way was up. <laughs> so we got through that, they got a senior priest, then I took on West Dubbo and it was the most socio-economically poor community in Australia at the time and we built the church up there and grew madly and then I went to Bellingen, had uh, eight years in Bellingen as the uh, well, the term is rector, parish priest in uh, Bellingen, which was uh, another broken community. Um, and I seem to have had a trade of um, wherever I've been in ministry, I've uh, ended up in places, not that I seek them, but I think God puts you where you, your gifts are embellished through him, where the churches have been broken and struggling and there's been uh, very sinful things happen in them. And for some reason, God has a sense of humour. Often, say you want to make you want to make God laugh. Tell him your plans. <laughs> so I ended up in all these uh, parishes that got fixed and grew. And each time they grew, I, somebody come along and said, "Oh, would you like to come to our place?" And I ended up at Finlay. 
not there was a lot wrong, but it was struggling and Gerildry. Then across to Holbrook, it was a lovely parish. Everything was good and uh, retired from there to here. So that's us. We have uh, three, uh, five grandchildren, three in North Wollongong, like our guest today, and uh, two up in Harvey Bay, who just recently moved up there, actually, our oldest son. So that's our lot. Um, so after 30-something years in full-time ministry, I've retired recently and now belong to this lovely church. And I must say, I was saying, yes, thank you, God, Father's Day, nobody's going to be at the church because I'm feeling really nervous. <laughs> there's more people here today than there's been all year. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my lot. And as I say, married Leola and... Uh, She's got her own. You might hear her story one day. I won't steal her thunder. We might save Leola mm. for one Mother's Day soon. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even see. Oh, oh down the back there. Right. <laughs> so it sounds like you've... Sorry, excuse me. <coughs> it um, sounds like you really have um, seen a lot in your years of ministry. Mm. Uh, how did you... Like, you, you grew up in a Catholic family... How did you come to know Jesus and, okay. and be called into uh, such a significant um, you know, lifetime of, of full-time ministry? Well, it's, in one word, I rebelled. Um, I couldn't accept this God who was sort of a nasty picture of God, but it was an out-of-balance picture that I perceived of God in my teen years. And I was very confused and I went on and uh, believe it or not, uh, you know those bikies you see with big beards and roaring around with groups scaring everybody to death? I became one of those. I was a full patch member of a bike club and uh, hung in there with all those. And I've seen the most evil things done. Uh, never participated, but I think being there, you participate. The police don't differentiate. But um, I knew it wasn't right for some reason, something in me called me out. But going back to when I was 16, I was diagnosed with a um, bone disease in my back and it was going to cripple me and kill me by the time I was 26. So here am I at 16 and I was in Dubbo. We went to the specialist there, my dad and I. And I went for a walk, left dad to do business and uh, walked past what is the Anglican church where I end up being... <laughs> For a long time and I went in there it was over the days churches were open I went in and I was so angry 16 gonna die thank you God and I picked up a, God's always up God's never he's up so I picked up hymn books and things throwing them up and saying things I shouldn't and a Bible landed open on the pew in front of me it's Psalm 128. <laughs> and it's blessed is the man who, or the, or the people who love the Lord, it says in the Hebrew, uh, fear. But in the Hebrew, fear and love are interchangeable because if you fear somebody, you learn to love them and you become one with them. And your wife, you'll get married. And I said, you evil, nasty God, I haven't even got a girlfriend. And you'll have lots of children. They'll be like a vine around your table, little shoots growing up. I haven't got a girlfriend. How am I going to have children? 
and, and it says, and, um, and the Lord will bless you and you will see God's prosperity in the days of your life. And I said, righto. Oh, I haven't got a girlfriend. I haven't got any children. I'm going to see this prosperity. I'm about to die. And I said, and you, you want to make God laugh? I said, if you heal me, I'll serve you. <laughs> well, disease sort of went back for a checkup the next month, and the doctor said it hasn't got worse, and so on it went. And over the time now, it's left me with a deformed back and hips, and I've had to have hip replacement and so on. But look, life is good when God's there. So I was 16. I'm. 67. Wow, wow. <laughs> I'm still here, folks. Yeah. God is good. Yeah. So that psalm is my thing I hang on to because out of that, God called me into ministry eventually. You know, it was 15 years later, roughly. But I served him faithfully. You know, you'll come and be a blessing for God. So that was part of my story. I mm. don't mm. advertise it, but... Um, Life-changing. Mm. It was good. And um, oh, thank you. And God will meet us wherever we're at, mm. won't he? You know, in, in that place of anger, God met you there. Um, and, and I think there's something about coming honestly before God with yeah. just, you know, no pretense, no hiding, mm. just this is, this is what's going on for me, God. And, you know, God's got big shoulders, hasn't he? He, he, can, he can handle that. In fact... He can do so much more, immeasurably more than what we ask, think or imagine, can he? Yep. So, yeah, that's a really, really special, um, special story. So, um, I, I mean, um, it's been all roses since then. I imagine you've never had oh. to sort of have a significant encounter with God or a, <laughs> a, a, a refiring of your faith. It's just been all smooth sailing. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, uh, being a Christian is hard work. I, I think if you're in the world and of the world, there's rewards from the wrong places. Uh, but if you're in the world, the Bible says don't be of the world, be something above the world. And that's God's territory. So through that... Um, and I think one of the challenges was when Leola and I both became committed Christians. Look, we were, I think I was in my 28 or something, and we're living in Coonabarabran. And it was August, and we've just finished August. Now, Coonabarabran is about the same altitude of here, but August is bitterly cold. And I said to our pastor at the time, I was, we were worshipping at the Anglican church, and I'm not a very good Catholic because I in today's terms, because I grew up charismatic Catholic, with charismatic renewal, and then left that and then come back into the Anglican church, which was full-on charismatic. So I don't know traditional Anglican after being 35 years in ministry in Anglican church. I call myself an Anglicostal or an Anglimatic or <laughs> something. But I said to the pastor one day, we, re we really want to show our sincerity to God. What can we do? And he said, well, you could get baptised. Ah, full immersion baptism. He said, yeah. I said, next Saturday? <laughs> it was four degrees at 11 o'clock in the morning in Coonabarabran wow. in somebody's backyard swimming pool. And Leola and I got baptised. And I often think that takes commitment or you need to be committed. <laughs> 
<laughs> we were committed and we were committing our life to God. Uh, and I often say it's like playing, you know, I don't know what sort of music you don't like, but if you play it, get a record and play it backwards, you know, your dog comes home, your bank account grows, your spouse loves you better. <laughs> you know, it all comes back. So we had, it was a new beginning for us when we were 28 to become committed, born again, yeah. Bible-believing, spirit-filled wow. Christians. Yeah. Changed our world. We still are changing, yeah. which is lovely. Wow, wow. So, and, um, you know, part of me thinks if you, if you can't withstand a, a four-degree weather <laughs> baptism, you're not going to handle ministry, are you? So that was maybe God's way of just testing, testing you out before he, uh, he called you into, into ministry. Look, um, being Father's Day, I, I'm, I'm keen to hear a bit about maybe how your relationship with God maybe has guided your parenting or, or whether you have a story mm. about God's faithfulness to you as a as a family, do you have some sort of... Yeah, we've seen the most amazing things and uh, Annette prepared a sneak sheet of questions and I've sort of ruminated on it a bit, but our children grew up in a clergy family home and life as clergy, more so than in Pentecostal church, it's life in a goldfish bowl. You're not normal. Our children didn't have normal friends because, oh, they're the priest's kids. You know, they're called PKs in the system or pastor's kids. And God bless you. You've got a very special role because we've been there and lived it and it's not always the nicest role. People come to the door and abuse you or demand things of you. And the Anglican church always has a house next to the church, so they always know where to find you. I reckon they should outlaw that. But I, I think living in... I always remember once about one of our children, no names, <laughs> they were being very naughty and I used to have a belt, a leather belt, and it hung up in the kitchen on a nail. And he was really naughty and they knew that if I took that down, it had a rattly buckle on it and they heard that buckle rattle, they knew they were in for a whack. And I took that buckle down one day and this particular child in our household had been really obscenely bad. And he said, well, there you go, it's out of the bag, he said, it wasn't Alison. <laughs> he, said, he said, if you hit me with that, he said, I'm going to call the police and have you charged, he said, for child abuse. And I said, well, ring the police, but tell them to bring the ambulance with them. And he said, why? I said, because you're going to need it. I said, if you're having me charged for child abuse, I said, I'm going to make it worth me while. And he leaned, turned around and leaned over, like a little flick on the backside. And from that day on, it's like something in my family broke. They all knew what had happened. But Dad wasn't the ogre with the belt. He was fair and disciplined. But you knew where the line was. So that was the start of our children really saying we want to respect mum and dad. And, um, but having discipline is a good thing. And there's been things in our life like we're in Kula, a little town. I don't know how you describe it. But anyway, Kula's up north near towards Mudgee from Coonabarabran. And 
And I said to Leala, I've been accepted to ministry. I'm going to be sponsored by the Bathurst Diocese. The bishop's putting up the money. They've got a house waiting for us in the middle of January in Canberra. We've got to go pack up everything, sell off everything. And we've got to sell the house. We had no money. We're living on wages and a mortgage. And Leala says, I've had a dream. <laughs> Tell me. She said, I dreamt that a lady comes to the door with a suitcase full of money and says, I want to buy your house. <laughs> I thought, I better check the whiskey bottle. Leola doesn't drink. <laughs> What's she on? Friday night, about six o'clock, there's a knock on the door and there's this little old lady standing there. She said, your house is for sale? And I said, yes. And she said, how much? And I said, 70 thousand dollars and she said there's a hundred thousand dollars in this suitcase would you look after it tonight I'll be back in the morning I said no take your suitcase and go I'm not taking a suitcase full of money off a stranger in the dark she bought the house with that we left cooler to go to ministry and we had some money and we used all that money to get us through ministry to train and do things and another thing happened is that um, I said to Leola we haven't got any money and it's Easter time. No, literally I was cleaning toilets and if you've ever seen a 26 stall toilet I was cleaning that twice a week and doing gardening to make money to put food on the table and um, I said we, there's no chocolates for Easter. I think we had about two dollars. We went to church Sunday and we come home and there was this big wicker basket sitting on the front veranda near the door full of chocolates. Took us three weeks to eat them. <laughs> Does God know what you want and delivers it when you need it? And one of our children said, if, I, if, if you hadn't gotten chocolates for Easter, I was running away. I was leaving home. I'm sick of being poor. God knows your needs before you need them, but he know, knows when to meet your needs when you need them the most. So it's experiences like that that have um, changed our life. And, uh, but I think taking responsibility for everything in your life, like I wasn't a very responsible person <laughs> um, and I never took interest in it. Leola handled the money, all of a sudden, no. It's my duty. I'm the head of the house. I'm not abusive. We share our life. But, you know, the buck stops here. Uh, and I had to man up because I, I didn't know who I was. I grew up in an environment where I lived out in the country. There was nobody around. There was a couple of other kids my age, but you didn't see each other much. So you never had sense of identity. And I remember once uh, when I had my own business, I had on-farm mechanical repairs and I was in this shop and the racks full of spare parts like you see today and um, I could overhear the conversation. I used to wear a great big broad brimmed hat and I had a big long beard because I was still into bikes and that and this bloke said oh, I need a tractor fix and I need such and such done and he's talking to the manager of the store, the bloke owned it. He said who can do that round here? And he said oh Steve Davis. And he said, where's he? And he said, oh, he's the big bloke over there under that big hat. Now, I'm trying to hide under the big hat. 
People didn't know who was under the big hat, but they knew the big hat. I thought, this is not working. <laughs> you can't hide. But I didn't know who I was and I had to learn in my 30s to be Steve Davis, not somebody else, not some clone bikey, not some would-be farmer, not somebody with a big debt. I had to be who Jesus wanted me to be. Mm. And that was a challenge when you do not have... My dad was a, a good dad, but he was away a lot. He was a businessman and travelled a lot with his business. So I didn't really have my role model dad at home 24-7. He appeared weekends, he was home overnight and then busy when he was. He was home probably a couple of months of the year and you do things as you do with your dad, but he wasn't somebody I could walk with day by day and learn to know and how to live and how to do business. So I, I lost that sense of purpose and identity in me. So I discovered who I was in my 20s, 30s. And yeah. Uh, yeah. that was good. But um, So, um, I, I mean, and I think identity is such a big issue for, yeah. for all of us to discover, isn't it? Whether, whether our dads were present or not or, or whatever has happened in our family of origin, often that's the area that um, either the enemy attacks us or culture and society attacks us in or we attack ourselves in sometimes, isn't it? And, and so I'd say most of us here either have been on a journey of who mm. am I and who am I in, in you, God? And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something I think we all, we all yeah. share, isn't it? Yeah. It is because we all have individual gifts and skills but we live in an age where unless you can turn the computer on and sit there on your own and stare at that and do all the wiggly bobbly bits, I, I still can't. I, I, I am a visual dyslexic. I can't do things on a screen and follow a sequence. And that's just in me. You know, I can barely use a mobile phone or a computer. But I can go and pull your car apart and put it back together. I know where everything goes. And isn't it great? We're all sort of wired a bit uniquely, aren't we? Now, I'm just yeah, looking at time. the time, so we might push, along, push on a little bit. Um, I, I'm, I'm keen to know, like, in, you know, I, I guess uh, as we journey on in life, there's always things that we look back on that we go, ah, would have done that differently if I'd known what I know mm. now, or, gosh, if only I could tell my younger self this. So is there, is there something that you look back on that you're like, oh, I wish, wish I knew this mm. earlier, or I'd do this differently a, another time? Well, I, I struggled with that one <laughs> because, as I say, it was, I, I didn't know. And I've only worked this out in the last few days because I, I put, be patient and don't judge others. So I judge people. I say, oh, look at that, people. they've been stupid. You know, they're buttering their bread you know, with the wrong knife. You know, there's only one knife butters bread, but I judge people. I was very judgmental and condescending. And um, I think the thing I learnt in more recent times is to follow your heart, not your head, because you've got to be socially acceptable, you've got to be in the right place, say the right words. I'm not very eloquent with my language, I'm not a great writer, I'm dyslexic with computers. I own it, it's me. If you want to pick on me, go ahead. I'm six foot two and, you know, 
110 kilos, I'll take out the back. <laughs> We're not going to pick on him, are we? No. <laughs> I won't, but I'm happy being me. That's good. I don't want to be somebody else. I don't want to be who you expect me to be because I'm happy being me. Mm, that's good. Hey, um, as, we, as we sort of wrap, wrap up, I guess, is there, is there something else that you'd like to, to share with us that, you know, um, something about how, uh, you know, God has helped you to, in your role as, as father or husband, or maybe there's a, a scripture or a Bible character that you think, you know, this, this is inspiring, this has helped me in my role in, in my family? Yeah, um, I have, uh, I think, two Bible people that I, I admire very strongly yeah, and um, one was Gideon because he had courage. You know, fear not. I am with you, said the Lord. And I've got to say that to myself ten times a day. You know, I'll go, I just had to do a welding job and I, I'm a good welder but I doubt myself because I'll be welding and if I blow a little hole in a thin piece of metal, I won't touch a welder for a month. Why? I'm in fear of me not being perfect. Well, don't be afraid. I blew a hole in it. And I thought, oh, good, I'll weld that up now and grind it off. It's okay to make a mistake. I think that's part of what that person was like. Gideon, you know, he wasn't perfect, but he had courage. And the other one is John uh, of the Gospel and, and John of Revelation. And the other one I love, my favourite verse, is Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and those who hear my voice and open the door, uh, I will come in and sup with you, and then you will come into paradise and sup with me, is the full translation. But if ever you see a picture by Holman Hunt and it's a door with a vine growing over it which represents sin and Jesus on the outside with a lantern knocking on the door, there's no knob on the outside. And you can't see what's through the door but it represents us. And the only way to let Jesus get through that door is for us on the other side to open the door and let him in. And that, and that door represents our heart. And, and I had to open my heart and let him in because I'd locked him out and, and the weeds were growing pretty strong holding that door shut. And they're all the things of the world that hold the door shut. And I had to take the pruning shears to that and chop them back and then open the door and say, come in, Jesus. And I know I've got a place waiting for me in paradise. That's, I look forward to it. I don't want to go just yet, but I look forward to it. That's great. Well, that's good news, isn't it, Home? Yeah. I might um, pray and uh, we'll wrap up our service and then enjoy some fellowship together. Thank, Thank you. you. That, was, that, was, that was great, wasn't it? That was, yeah, incredibly encouraging and a bit exciting and, and very down-to-earth and real, wasn't it? So thank you. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, yeah, look, for those of us who do have weeds in our life, um, yeah, I just pray that we would hear you knocking at... Mm at the door. For those of us who have uh, shut that door to you or have never opened that door, I just pray that we would hear your voice, your loving voice calling us into relationship uh, with you. 
Holy Spirit, just come and make the words of Jesus uh, real and alive and fresh to us, I pray. I thank you that as we journey with you, you would be uh, shaping us into the image of Christ, that we would know who we are in you, that we wouldn't listen to the voice of the world or, or ourselves or um, any of the other voices that speak into our life, but that we would just hear the voice of Jesus clearly, calling us, um, bringing hope and new life and transformation and freedom from uh, sin and shame and guilt and regret. Mm. And so I just thank you, Lord, um, that you... Um, you are doing a good work in us and that you will see it through to completion. And uh, as we uh, enjoy a cuppa together afterwards, I just pray that you would uh, yeah, just really um, use this time as, as your time to encourage, strengthen faith, uh, bring revelation and, um, and to bring, um, yeah, mm. just to, to do your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.